Hi, everyone, and welcome to First State Insights, a podcast presented by the University of Delaware's Institute for Public Administration. We call ourselves IPA for short. My name is Troy Mix. I'm the Associate Director at IPA and your host for this episode. My guest for this episode is Rachel Premack, who is a senior investigations reporter at Business Insider. She's appeared on ABC News, NBC Nightly News, and other major outlets to discuss her coverage. And it's my pleasure to host her here on First State Insights. Rachel joins me as part of a special Freight Friday edition of First State Insights, brought to you through a partnership of IPA and the Delmarva Freight Working Group, an ongoing transportation planning and economic development partnership coordinated by IPA, the Delaware Department of Transportation, and Delaware's three metropolitan planning organizations, the Dover-Kent County MPO, the salisbury Wacomico MPO, and Wilmapco. Rachel and I spoke on June 2nd, 2021. We covered major freight and supply chain stories she's been reporting on over the last few years, including supply chain disruptions, technology trends, and trucker shortages. Let's get to the conversation. Thanks for joining me this morning, Rachel. Yeah, thanks for having me on the podcast. Sure thing. So I'm going to go ahead and declare this like the year of supply chain disruptions unofficially. (laughs) Uh, It might just be because I organize freight events and I'm kind of focused on it, but it certainly seems like there was a lot uh, of disruptions and they're in front page in the newspaper, as you alluded to in a recent newsletter there, you know, we've seen everything from toilet paper to petroleum crunches this past year. And I wonder if from your perspective, you could kind of point to some key takeaways for you in terms of how the freight and logistics sector has managed those challenges. So it's interesting because I, I I think I would have said 2020 was the year of ultimate freight disruption, but now 2021 is really in the running to like, right. to like take over. From I forgot that we, um, we changed years to be honest. I know. <laughs> I mean, just taking the past like 12 months as is like, we've got, just the, I mean, like toilet paper and the whole COVID stuff. And then this year alone, you've got everything that's happened in Texas with their oil issues. And then the pipeline shut down. And now the meat factories have been hacked. It's just like, it's kind of nonstop. I feel like when I started in the freight beat about three years ago, a lot of the focus was actually on the trade war. It seems like so long ago, but a lot of the focus was on the trade war actually. and. I wanted to, you know, write useful stories to help readers and, you know, try to provide some sort of useful prediction. So I, you know, was always on the on the phone with various analysts and experts and executives and all that. And I kept trying to figure out, like, what should we know? What's going to happen? And the takeaway then was we have no idea. Just, like, prepare for everything. And I feel like that, obviously, we don't have that same sort of trade debacle going on, but that's kind of the same trend we're seeing today is just like, we don't know what's going to happen. Just prepare for everything. And obviously I'm still somewhat new to the, to the beat and to the industry. So I don't know if it's always been like this, but um, I think especially these past three years, it's just been all about, we have no idea what's going to happen. Just prepare for the worst, hope for the best, but you have absolutely no idea what, what tomorrow or next week or next month could, could bring. And I know you mentioned, you know, looking at just the colonial pipeline issue. I mean, it's not just, a, doesn't end up just being a pipeline issue. Could you talk a little bit more about that? Like maybe in that instance and more generally? Right, right. So when the pipeline shut down last month, I think for about a week or a week and a half, 
so that pipeline services most of the Northeast, that's most of the Eastern seaboard, which is also, you know, where quite a bit of the U.S. population lives. So it, it really threatened access to fuel for that entire populace. And I think normally when you think about like, oh, we don't have gas, your first thought is passenger cars. But, you know, there's also the trucks and trucks carry, as we as we know, most of the freight we use every day. There's also the airlines, which, of course, carry passengers, but also carry quite a bit more freight. And there's just there's so many like elements that may not meet the eye at first when you're first learning about this or first hearing about this. But the the pipeline was interesting because, you know, in lieu of that being shut down, now truck drivers were carrying fuel from Houston or from Texas to the Northeast and Southeast. So, yeah, I guess I guess that kind of goes back into the theme of prepare for the worst, because this seems like there's always a contingency plan in place. So, you know, you have trucks who can carry this fuel. You have barges that can carry this fuel. It kind of just felt like, again, like another prepare for the worst situation and always have a backup plan. Thankfully, we didn't see, you know, there were short term disruptions, but there weren't any major long term issues, I guess. So it it seems like it, it seems like it was just another blip, another kind of thing that we had to prepare for and, you know, move past. But that was a I I was pretty worried about that because, you know, I remember last year I was writing about COVID in my newsletter. I was like, OK, you know, maybe this will sort itself out. It won't be will be something that's like contained to East Asia or to Asia more generally. But of course, that was not the case. You never know what's going to happen, essentially. I want to talk a little bit about technology. And I guess pre-pandemic, it seemed like uh, the hot topic, maybe because we didn't have any other topics that yeah. were front page worthy at that point, was kind of automated trucking and yeah, all the yeah. impacts that was going to have on you know, safety and efficiency of the industry. But then, of course, uh, the supply of truckers was always kind of in question, you know, whether there's a shortage or not. So I guess, first of all, I mean, in your estimation, where does that stand, the automated trucking piece? And then, you know, what other technologies are kind of looming out there that you think will make that idea of what it means to be a trucker different in the next couple of years? Yeah, I mean, I've always been, I guess, a little bit on like the conservative realist side about automated trucks i've always thought like okay people don't even trust passenger cars to be automated like for, for an eighty thousand pound car like truck like i'm not sure if the public would be okay with that in particular but i would say um you know there have been advances even this past year uh, on the automated truck uh, side of things, you know, Too Simple had their IPO in the past few months. Um, we have seen, I guess, some maybe more like financial progress or some, you know, some trust on the investor side that the, this technology will come to fruition. I mean, for me, I'm I'm a little bit more excited by the concept of electric trucks because that would obviously reduce a major burden upon you know, preventing climate change. And that that excites me a little bit more, but that obviously does not really drastically change the, you know, a truck driver's job. I mean, besides like how they feel and whatnot. But for me, I, I think that the automated trucks obviously are, you know, a few decades down the line. 
it could it could be really exciting it could definitely you know reduce supply chain costs but then you have this issue of okay you have almost two million truck drivers who are full-time laborers who work in this industry you can't just displace a huge that giant number of workers um i mean personally i'm from the detroit area and with the you know with the, with the increase of automation in these factory settings it it definitely impacted like just the local economy and just like how people interact how people view things because you had this group of laborers who were you know had very pretty decently paying jobs blue collar jobs union protection you know a pretty solid life and then suddenly you know a few decades later they're not engaged in the way that they used to be so I think even though there there are exciting parts of like this new technology, it's it's it does scare me a little bit to think about like how what this looks like when like another huge chunk of the population is out of work or not engaged in the way that they used to be. And I don't think that there's really a good solution for that because it's not like I don't think we should, you know, halt technology, but at the same time, how do we what do we do with these people who used to have like productive meaningful jobs and now are out of work it's it's i don't think there's really a good answer for that right now but i guess going back to other exciting technologies it seems like you know more automated freight brokerages or more of these apps that connect truck drivers to jobs that could be something i think that's really exciting because i know that a major frustration on the part of truck drivers is you know, trying to get detention pay and trying to work with brokers to figure out what time they're delivering and and so on and so forth. I think that could definitely improve the life of both truck drivers and brokers, to be frank, because you kind of get rid of that whole part of of wrestling over the detention pay. And, you know, I started by kind of saying, you know, is there a trucker shortage or not? Uh, Or like framing it in that kind of simplistic way that people talk about it all the time. And I know it's a nuanced issue, and I know you've done a lot of reporting on it. I mean, what do you think's missing from the framing when you just kind of catch a headline that there's a shortage of X number of, of, of truckers nationwide? What are, aren't, aren't people grasping when it's framed that way? Yeah, yeah. So this is something that I think we've just been talking about more in the past few months because as the economy reopens, you know, businesses are trying to hire again, you know, try, try to scale up pretty quickly. and I think that's definitely something that we've just been talking about. I think more like not just in trucking, but across various industries. And I think there's, there's been more conversation around, okay, is there a shortage of X kind of worker or are you just not paying them enough? And I think, I think there are definitely elements of that in the trucking industry that we could simply be, that we ought to simply be paying these people the same number that, you know, adjusted for inflation that we did in 1970 or so. But of course, that's not, you know, a snap your fingers and fix the whole thing solution, because then we'll see the increase of various, you know, everything that we buy will get more expensive. So that's that's the trade off there. Yeah, I, I think probably what is missing from that conversation overall is we we have to look at how the job looked before there was this quote shortage and how it looks now. and. If you talk to truck drivers, they'll mention, you know, a lack of respect. Obviously, the pay is much lower. These sorts of things, I think, you know, may push people out of the industry. And 
may deter new people from coming in. On top of that, I think, you know, the constant discussion of like autonomous trucks, like if I were looking for, if I was looking for a blue collar job, like out of high school or um, whatever situation, I probably would not pick the industry that everyone's saying is going to be run by robots in a few years. So that, yeah, that, that, that's definitely a struggle as well. And then there's the fact that like, you can just have a better or same paying job or, you know, slightly worse paying job and you stay at home and you don't have like the risk of, you know, major highway fatalities and you get to see your family more than like a few times a month. I think that's something that we should, you know, talk a little bit more about is like, why don't young people want this job? And I think the pay issue and, you know, some of these other conversations definitely are contributing factors. So you mentioned that you're kind of new on the freight beat or you consider yourself new. And just like, you know, I wasn't born to be a freight event coordinator. (laughs) You weren't born to be on the freight beat necessarily. And so I wonder kind of, you know, as you've gotten uh, more seasoned, looking back, kind of what were some maybe big misconceptions you had about the sector? And then maybe some kind of big moments of education for you. Yeah, so so def- so I've been in the beat for three years, and I, d- I definitely would say I've learned a lot. I think probably one of the more interesting moments of learning and, you know, misconceptions is... So when I, I actually, my first ever trucking story, going back to the shortage conversation again, my first ever trucking story, I was going by, you know, ATA data, I was going by, you know, previous media reports, I was just trying to get a story out there about like trucking. And this was early 2018. It was actually, it was May 2018. And I was looking like, oh, there is a truck driver shortage. I will write an article about the truck driver shortage. <laughs> and I'd never written, I, I, re- I read articles on trucking before, which is how I kind of got interested in the idea of writing a trucking story. But yeah, so I, I wrote that story and then put my email on the bottom, like, you're a truck driver, let me know what you think. And I got a lot of emails from drivers saying like, no, there's no shortage. That's a lie. Like, that's not real. Like what's actually going on is that we can't work as much because of the ELD mandate. And I was like, oh, what's the ELD mandate? And, you know, that, that created a whole, opened a whole other Pandora's box. So I wrote a story, another story following up on that about what drivers were saying about the ELD mandate, that they felt that it um, limited their working hours, that they felt that made them more dangerous, like, or more drive more dangerously. And from that story, I got like a million emails, basically, like of truck drivers saying, you know, thanks for writing this. And like, here are some other issues we're having. And I also got an email from someone within the industry saying like, no, actually, this is wrong. Like, EOD mandate's actually good. So I was like, what is actually happening? Like, I don't know what actually is the truth here. So yeah, it was, it, it, it's kind of weird. And as I'm sure you can relate in like the freight and trucking world, like you can never get it totally right. Like no matter what you write, like someone's going to say that you got it wrong or someone's going to have like a different interpretation, which I think was what makes, you know, writing about this fun because everyone has kind of a different opinion, a different experience. Another major area of learning is that 
a lot of what I've written about is about the 1980 Motor Carrier Act, which deregulated the trucking industry, which experts say caused a decline in wages and working conditions and so on. So I kind of had assumed like, oh, most truck drivers do not like the 1980 Motor Carrier Act because it, you know, on the whole, it made the industry worse according to data. But there, there are a few drivers where I've talked to who are like, actually, the Motor Carrier Act was great for my dad's or, you know, my own small business because suddenly I could, you know, drive any route I wanted and it wasn't so, you know, heavily regulated and I was able to expand my business and now we have like 30 or 40 drivers and like I said, everyone has a different perspective. So, you know, a law that could hurt some, some actually think it's great because it helped them, you know, build their American dream and, and so on. Yeah. What what advice would you share with people in terms of how to try to get the most, most clarity, the most nuance, like the most comprehensive understanding of the industry? What are some sources you'd recommend uh, or approaches to reading the news perhaps? I think reading as many as much as you can is always good. Just getting like a diversity of information. So, you know, I'd obviously suggest Business Insider where I work and uh, my newsletter modes, which I'm kind of a more like conversational approach to the freight industry. And I guess for like more like macroeconomic coverage, Bloomberg and the journal are, are always good. And then, you know, for dialing more closely in the industry, I read Freight Waves and JOC quite a bit just to you know, get the experts perspective um, on that, because, you know, the people at those publications have been covering the industry for decades. They're like, they're total experts and they've seen it all. <laughs> yeah. And then I also read, uh, I like looking at like the truck driver, like Facebook groups, just to see, you know, what they're seeing, dealing with. I mean, there's probably a little bit too much information for like the average person in the industry. I'm obviously trying to get pretty deep in. But yeah, I like looking at like truck driver Facebook groups. I like looking at CDL life, which is more of like a new source for truck drivers. That kind of just helps me like understand their perspective a little bit more. I, I, I think the best the best approach for any any news consumer is just to get as much of a variety as possible. Well, Rachel, I appreciate you taking time to join me today and kind of for all your work to kind of help tell the story of the industry. You know, I appreciate it and I'm sure you know, people out there appreciate it. So thanks again. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. To track Rachel's reporting, follow the link in the show notes to her Business Insider author page or subscribe to Modes, her weekly newsletter on trucking at premac.substack.com. You can also follow her on Twitter at RRPRE. To learn more about the Delmarva Freight Working Group, visit wilmapco.org slash Delmarva. And for details on the work of my colleagues and I at IPA, visit ipa.udel.edu. Thanks for tuning in to this special Freight Friday edition of First State Insights, delivered just in time to prep you for the annual Delmarva Freight Summit on June 16th, 2021. Reach out with comments and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. I hope you'll join us again soon.